Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're discussing in the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is our transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. Uh, we start, and where else would we start than the news on Leo Messi leaving Barcelona? Uh, if you doubted our tagline about news before it becomes news, then please go back to Tuesday, when five or six hours before confirmation was announced that Messi had indeed asked to leave Barcelona, the Transfer Window podcast brought you that news as well as the news of Manchester City's very, very uh, deep interest in taking the player to the Etihad. Now, Duncan then reported on Wednesday that Messi had indeed chosen to join Manchester City above any other club. And we can tell you that our sources, which of course fueled the original story, have told us that contract negotiations with the Argentina and Barcelona captain are at an advanced stage, although no conclusion has been reached as yet. These are very complex negotiations, partly because Messi earns so much money, around 90 million euros gross currently at Barcelona, although Duncan's going to give us a breakdown on that and why, in fact, Manchester City might be able to um, pay him less. More on that in a couple of minutes. But also, he earns just as much in image rights as he does in basic salary for his football. Therefore, this is going to be quite a difficult contract to conclude. Although Manchester City, we understand, are determined to ensure that they get the player's signature. Duncan, you reported on Wednesday, as I said, that Messi had chosen City, but you've also got some interesting information about his current contract with Barcelona and how City might actually save themselves around 33 million euros uh, because of the way that that contract was structured. Yeah, it's um, looking back to a story I did um, in 2017, when that contract was agreed with Barcelona that made him the world's highest paid footballer and made him the first footballer um, to earn over a million a week. Um, And I was looking back at the details of it and what my sources had given me at the time, and they explained to me that um, part of his salary and and the basic net wage uh, he receives over the course of those four um, years of contract that he agreed to Having used, it should be remembered, Manchester City's great desire to sign the player at that time um, in order to extract a massive contract from Barcelona. And as we've told you in the podcast a number of times, 
Messi's father essentially went to Barcelona and said, these are the terms we want to stay here. There's no negotiation involved. You sign this contract or the player leaves for nothing. Um, and Barcelona signed the contract and signed a contract with an infamous clause which allows uh, Messi to leave at the end of the season for each year, which shows you how much Messi and um, father had the club over the barrel at that time. But he had a basic in that contract of 50 million net per season um, as a salary. But that was structured in a way that there was a 100 million euro gross signing on bonus, which was to be paid over the first three years of the contract. So the actual net salary um, per year was less than 50 million because it was made up across the course of the contract with 100 million that was paid in, in installments over the first three years. Why is that important? Obviously, because the 100 million is now paid. Uh, Messi has that money. There's no signing on bonus for the fourth season of the contract. Um, his salary will therefore effectively go down for the fourth season of the contract, which is, of course, the basis from which Manchester City can um, negotiate and which any other club trying to sign Messi can negotiate because its current salary is less than the 50 million net basic. There are huge bonuses involved. As you say, there's a, there's a image rights issue and um, there are restrictions on image right payments, percentage of salary that can be paid for image, by image rights under UK tax law. And there will be negotiations involved to try and find a way to structure that deal so the net amount going to Messi satisfies them. But um, I, I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that the decision to rescind the contract and decide to take the option to leave and go elsewhere comes after that first three years have been paid up. And, uh, and the opportunity um, to set up the what would probably be the last large contract of his European football career at a club where he thinks he can win the Champions League. And we told you in, on recent podcasts how that has greatly affected his thinking. Barcelona's fall from grace in the Champions League and their, their inability to add to his tally of, of Champions League wins. Um, and, and I think, Ian, you can tell us there's, there's also the opportunity that Abu Dhabi-owned Manchester City have to present to Messi a contract in which he would spend two years for example, at Manchester City, and then have an option to move to the MLS and play for the City Football Group um, franchise club in New York, um, which obviously allows salary to be loaded on the City Football Group account rather than Manchester City's account. So you could see a, a setup where you structure a five-year deal for Messi, which pays him, for example, 100 million uh, euros per season, but some of that 100 million euros comes at the at the end of the contract. Therefore, less of it is put on Manchester City's books for the two years in which he would play for that club. This is, uh, Duncan, one of the advantages uh, of being owned by a nation state, uh, as much as that's being debated on our Twitter feeds uh, regarding who actually owns Manchester City. Certainly true um, that at City Football Group, who are the parent company which owns Manchester City, New York City, as well as uh, clubs in Australia, India, Italy. And they 
are at uh, liberty to employ players on a city football group basis and then uh, their registrations are assigned to one of CFG city football groups uh, clubs. Now, in doing so, you contract the player centrally to CFG and then you can transfer the registration from one club to another, which is owned by the parent company, without there being a transfer fee, without there being any um, administrative difficulties with regards to the movement of the player as well. Now, this will also potentially help in the payment of Messi's image rights. As you mentioned, Duncan, there is a quite restrictive laws in the UK regarding the payment of image rights, which was reformed uh, in the last decade because some players were sending contracts where up to 80% of their salaries were being paid into offshore accounts through what were effectively um, exaggerated image rights earnings. In Messi's case, this isn't actually true because obviously his image rights globally are huge and remain potentially extremely lucrative, uh, despite the fact he's now 33. Um, one of the most lucrative contracts that he held and still holds is with EA Sports for their FIFA uh, video game, um, which has paid him upwards of 100 million euros in the last five years. Now, if he signs with CFG uh, and then his, his registration signed to Manchester City, and CFG as a global company <clears throat> can um, argue that uh, the image rights are eligible to be paid uh, in with less tax in the UK. At the moment, it's 15% is the maximum that's allowed to be paid in image rights to any player. Um, so that would be something in City's advantage. And also, uh, it certainly is the case that players who have moved to the MLS and New York City, such as Andrea Pirlo um, and David Villa, and even Frank Lampard when he moved to New York City for his 18 months in MLS, their contracts were with CFG and not with the club. So uh, we also know um, that Pep Guardiola has a clause in his Manchester City contract, his CFG contract, which allows him to become head coach at New York City, where, of course, he owns a very, very nice apartment overlooking Central Park and spent his year sabbatical in between leaving Barcelona and joining Bayern Munich in that city. So everything looks just quite cosy and tidy with regards to um, the link between City and Messi. And then, as I said, by extension, the possibility of a move to America when his contract expires. A couple of things to add on that, Ian, is it's not simply the case that City City Football Group can move players between the clubs without transfer fee. They can actually move them between clubs with transfer fees that suit them for the famous financial fair play accounting purposes. Which happened so, with Aaron Moy when he left uh, Australia from Manchester City, Duncan. Uh, there was a fee paid for Aaron Moy, who then went out and loaned to Huddersfield. So yes, you're absolutely correct on that. So you, you could you could devise a scenario where you secure Messi um, in this transfer window, and you know there is a big debate over what 
um, the terms of that transfer fee, whether there will be a transfer fee, and we'll, we'll get on to that next. But let's say Manchester City were able to secure the player for nothing, which is one of one of the options here because of the legal challenge. Then my, Messi spends two years at Manchester City and under the terms of his contract moves to City Football Group to play in the MLS um, for the latter stages of career. New York City could pay a transfer fee to Manchester City for Messi and it would be you know, entirely practical that they pay a, a transfer fee for a player who would uh, in, in certain ways be under contract to Manchester City for five years. That would go on to City's books as a profit on the transfer and would help them for financial fair play accounting purposes to the extent that financial fair play accounting purposes have any relevance to Manchester City anymore after they won their case at CAS against UEFA, prevented their um, two-year European competition ban on a majority verdict of the CAS court. Now, is America interesting to Messi as a place to play? Well, information I have um, from talking to sources about Messi's intentions, um, and there has been a, a, a degree of uh, discussion that Inter-Miami, David Beckham's MLS club, were interested in, in signing Messi. I've been told that they have indeed made a substantial offer to Messi and his family to move to the MLS. Um, I think being aware of his situation with Barcelona, and the guidance I had was that Messi was interested in that, um, did not discourage Inter Miami's interest in signing him, but said, ultimately, I don't want to do that now because of the COVID situation. I'm not ready to move my family to Florida in the middle of COVID pandemic. Um, but thank you for the offer. And I am interested in playing in the MLS. So they're, they're, I think one that tells you the degree of... Um, discord there has been between Messi and Barcelona and that he was looking at these proposals and, and having these proposals presented to him. And, and two, that um, Manchester City, Abu Dhabi have an advantage here and they can potentially offer uh, you know, a five-year or longer contract proposal to Messi, which allows him to play in Europe, to try and win the Champions League, to play in the Premier League, um, to go and work for people he knows very well in Chiqui Pakistan, Ferran Soriano and Pep Guardiola um, and then move to America with um, huge financial terms secured for all stages of that journey. Which of course is difficult to do under the current MLS rules of salary cap um, but as an employee of CFG again these can be gotten round uh, in terms of the money here. And as you said, Duncan, he could be placed under a five-year contract, uh, playing two or three in Manchester and another two or three in New York. Or paid as an ambassador for Abu Dhabi or paid as a consultant in, in, to Abu Dhabi indeed, football clubs. Indeed. There are various <laughs> ways to structure these things to keep um, salaries off uh, salary caps um, as and when required. Absolutely. Um, so one of the big um, talking points, Duncan, is the clause in Messi's current contract at Barcelona, which infamously, as you pointed out, allowed him to leave for free 
um, at the end of every season during that contract if triggered within a certain amount of time. There's a lot of debate as to exactly what the terms of that clause is. Um, it's been told to me, uh, certainly uh, by very good sources, that uh, Messi's camp are confident that they can prove, if they have to, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, that uh, on uh, legal grounds and on sporting just cause grounds, that the COVID pandemic prevented Messi from activating the clause within the actual terms that are written into the contract uh, this year, because, of course, the season was extended uh, without anyone obviously having expectation of that. And, of course, it was extended even more by Barcelona's continued participation in the Champions League when they were eventually knocked out in that game by Bayern Munich 8-2. Now, it's also understood that Messi's camp have employed a former member of the CAS adjudicatory panel to advise their lawyers on the way that they should deal with this when it comes to a CAS hearing, should it come to that, although there is still a hope within that camp that Barcelona will respect Messi's service of 20, almost 20 years to the club and allow him to leave for free on the basis that uh, to fight another court battle uh, would be damaging probably to both parties, but maybe even more to Barcelona. Another interesting little adage on this is, we understand at the Transfer Window podcast that Manchester City have um, said that they would be willing to foot the legal bills for Messi's um, case, which is something which Barcelona did not do, nor did they offer him support during his uh, fight with the Spanish tax authorities during uh, the case which saw him... Uh, in court for tax uh, avoidance and something which Messi was very upset about because he felt he didn't feel supported by Football Club de Barcelona uh, in that. So it may not be a lot of money in the end. You say that, well, I say that, but it could be, it's, it's the fact that the gesture has been made. Now, Duncan, your understanding of the clause is that um, it could be 10 or 11 days after Barcelona's last game, but that doesn't account for the Champions League, does it? Yeah, there's, there's debate on this coming from the different sides. The, the, the June 10th has been mentioned as the um, date at which it should have been exercised. I think it's quite hard to see a specific date of June 10th being written into a contract that was agreed in um, 2017 because you wouldn't know uh, when... Uh, 11 days, 10 days at the end of the season were going to be um, three years in advance. Certainly the argument from Messi's camp is that they uh, triggered um, 11 days after Barcelona's last effective game, the quarterfinal defeat, and two days after the end of the European season, which would be the last scheduled, originally scheduled game. Um, they believe the clause is effective. Um, they have sent a legal document um, that bureau fax that they sent on Tuesday was essentially a statement that they were um, triggering the clause and to make Barcelona aware of it. Um, you talk to the Barcelona side about this or uh, people close to Barcelona and ask them what their strategy is here. Are they trying to hold 
uh, messy against as well, which seems to be the case from some of their statements saying that they expect Messi to turn up for training and they expect him to play for the next season. And this follows statements from multiple statements from uh, the president, uh, Joseph Maria Bartomeu, saying that Messi had told him he wanted to finish his career at Barcelona. He'd be there for life. He was untouchable and untransferable. So, you know, Barcelona have been racking up quite a lot of um, public statements about Messi's intentions uh, and uh, and behaviour and guarantees to the club, which are being contradicted by Messi himself and his his actions. Um, the sense I get back is that Barcelona have been blindsided by this and they don't really have a strategy um, as to what they they want to do, um, whether they're going to allow the player to leave, whether they try and maximise a transfer fee um, or players in exchange from Manchester City or, or any other club that, that takes Messi, um, use it as an opportunity to rebuild, get their salary cost down, which we'll obviously do. But um, the, the guidance I'm getting is this is very much like Barcelona has been for the last um, four or five years. Um, it's very similar to the Neymar situation where they were caught by surprise and ended up being embarrassed. Um, and it's kind of an example of the of the things that have contributed to this situation where the club's most important player, most popular player, um, someone who, who's in love with the club and in love with the country and, and the city has now decided he doesn't want to be there anymore. He's had enough of the chaos at Barcelona and, and is ready to step away. I think one important thing here is the message I'm getting from Messi's side is that they would like to avoid legal conflict. Um, I think there is, for all their arguments over the clause, I think there is a degree of doubt over what the outcome would be were it to go to legal proceedings. Um, certainly you have lawyers in Spain and Barcelona saying that were he to go to a Spanish court over this, he would be liable for the full 700 million release clause in his contract if he lost. And even if the, the Spanish court were to say that 700 million was too much, it could still be hundreds of millions of euros in compensation that he would be expected to pay to Barcelona for um, breaking his contract against uh, the legal terms within it. And there is a history of uh, FIFA and, and coming down on the side of clubs in these situations. So the, the, while there are uh, rules that allow you to leave with just cause, um, there was a famous case in 2009 um, when Real Zaragoza signed um, a Brazilian midfielder, Matsuz Alam, from Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, with Matsuz Elam leaving Shakhtar Donetsk, citing just cause and expecting to be allowed out of his contract for a minimal sum, and Cass um, dictating that they should pay the full value of his contract, a very substantial transfer fee to Shakhtar for that player, which kind of ended um, the use of the FIFA clauses to uh, get out of contracts for most players going forward. There is doubt there. The, the tidiest solution is clearly for Barcelona to come to an agreement with Manchester City. Um, we know and we've reported on the podcast that, um, that Barcelona have identified Eric Garcia, um, the uh, young uh, centre-back who was a, originally a Barcelona player, as the next 
um, Gerard Piquet as a replacement for Gerard Piquet, who's one of the players that the Bartomeu has said he's prepared to sell this summer. Um, Garcia has refused to sign a new contract at Manchester City, so you could see his transfer easily being rolled into this deal. Then there's a question of other players. Um, and I think one player you should pay attention to here is Bernardo Silva, because there's been a long-standing interest in Bernardo Silva from Barcelona. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me were they to uh, go to Manchester City and say, OK, we can come to agreement over this, but we want a high, a really high quality player in exchange. Um, and Bernardo Silva would be one that they could target. Um, were, it, were it to be done in the right way, Bernardo would not be against that move to, to Barcelona. The question is whether City would be prepared to lose a player who was um, probably the best player in the Premier League uh, the season before last and has been very important to them since he moved to the club. Well, Duncan, it's indicative of um, how this whole scenario has played out that not only Barcelona were blindsided uh, by as you said, the Bureau of Facts, which we should point out, a Bureau of Facts is different. It's a, a legally binding document which can be presented in disclosure and evidence in any future court proceedings. So when people said, uh, or at least cited surprise, that uh, Messi had handed a transfer request by fax, when obviously email is a much more uh, modern and indeed convenient way of uh, delivering such uh, information. Uh, a DX, as it's known in the legal trade, a Bureau of Facts, as it's known in full, is actually something which can be presented in a court of law. And that's why this was done in the way it was done. Other than that, uh, the blindsided part in terms of Barcelona I was going to refer to is that Paris Saint-Germain, the very club which uh, stole Neymar from under the noses of uh, the people in charge at Camp Nou um, have come late to this party uh, as another nation-state-owned club with infinite resources. Clearly, they would be interested in signing one of the best players in the world. It's our information that they have made contact with uh, Messi's father, uh, Jorge, and that they have said that they would be very much willing to enter into discussions and negotiations uh, to find out if it was feasible to bring Messi to Paris. But also Inter Milan have been mentioned in dispatches as a club who would be willing to also uh, try their hand at luring Messi. Personally, I'm not convinced that either um, have the motivation um, nor indeed uh, have the, the ability to catch up with City, who were the ones who were contacted by Messi's people in the first place, because that's his preferred destination. And as Duncan reported on Wednesday, that's where Messi wants to go. But Duncan, you've got some interesting information regarding Inter Milan, Antonio Conte, and indeed a new signing for Antonio Conte, probably a little present to keep him happy now that apparently he'll be staying at Giuseppe Miazza. Yeah, look, on Inter and Messi, the guidance I have is this is being driven entirely by Inter's Chinese ownership. Um, they see the opportunity to secure Messi and they want to explore the possibility of doing it. They have an advantage for tax reasons. 
um, you started us off talking about the, the tax issues and uh, with image rights and, and Messi's salary and that having to be resolved to get the contract to work um, with the HMRC in the UK. Italy, of course, has this um, tax rule which allows a much reduced tax rate on uh, earnings for individuals coming either coming back to Italy um, to work um, and it's not this doesn't just apply to footballers or individuals moving to Italy for the first time so they would have a, they can sign a player like Messi at lower um, gross cost to themselves than uh, Manchester City certainly can uh, if they uh, operate in the same fashion as other English football clubs. Um, within Inter, if you look at, talk to the football specialists there, they feel it's impossible. Um, the, the deal is too expensive. The revenues aren't vaguely close enough to, to be able to structure something. However, they're going along, unsurprisingly, with the wishes of their Chinese owners. Um, to explore the deal uh, and to be able to come back and, and say, look, the, here's the option, but it's not going to be enough to to persuade this player to come to you. And and, and it's interesting to note that um, the, the head of transfers at Inter is Beppe Marotta. Um, Beppe Marotta's previous job was at Juventus. He essentially left Juventus under a cloud because he was opposed to the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Fabio Paratici instead uh, ran that deal. And uh, I, Marotta got into some problems at Juventus by talking about the issues and, and the financial difficulties of signing Ronaldo. And what I'm told is he's being very, very careful not to repeat that mistake with Inter at present. He's had a big problem on his hands with Antonio Conte. Um, we talked uh, on this podcast a few weeks ago about the issues between Conte and Conte playing a game that is not at all unfamiliar to fans of Chelsea and to fans of Juventus in terms of criticising the club uh, when they failed to win Serie A. Um, we said at the time that Conte was threatening to leave. We told you that Inter were also considering replacing him, um, but the difficulty would be the cost of doing so. What came out this week and the, the, the statement um, from the club that was released uh, on Tuesday, uh, it was very short and it said the club and Antonio Conte had a constructive meeting today focused on continuity and strategy in which the two parties laid the foundations to continue working together on the club's project. The background to that is, um, as we said in the podcast, Inter looked at the possibility of dispensing with Conte. I'm told they had their lawyers look at the statements Conte had made and whether they would have had legal grounds to cancel the contract and dismiss him without compensation. They were told that although some of the things were problematic, there wasn't enough for it to be a surefire uh, case in their favour. Had they sacked Conte and lost the legal case, it would have cost them €48 million Euros in compensation alone without any legal um, uh, costs on top of that or damages on top to pay off the last two years of his salary. They are still paying for Luciano Spalletti, the previous coach. So the, 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 the remaining two years he had on contract when they fired him uh, were to cost them 25.8 million euros. The conclusion was they couldn't afford to do this. So they would carry on with Conte. Um, Conte 
by the same token, it seems couldn't afford to walk away from his contract. Um, I couldn't go through with that threat, um, which was implicit that he would uh, resign if Inter didn't provide him with what he wanted. So what I'm being told from the Inter end is this is a very uneasy compromise. Um, they have given him something, which is that they are pursuing the, the signature of Arturo Vidal. Again, one of those players that Barcelona um, have put on the transfer list as they try this um, massive restructuring and a player that Conte has desired for a long time. So it's not all um, conflict, it, but it is, it's not a position uh, which some people have presented it as as interthinking, well, uh, he didn't have a bad season after all. Um, we've had to think about this and actually we'd like uh, to carry on with Conte because he's the right man for the job. This is very much a compromise stance on their part because they couldn't afford to move him out and replace him with uh, Max Allegri, who they had conversations with and who would have obviously cost substantial salary himself because he was well aware of how um, richly Conte is being paid by Inter at present. Beppe Marotta, the man who did not sign the Beatles. Oh, well. Um, Perhaps he'll look back on Cristiano Ronaldo as one of the great regrets of his life, uh, given the season that Ronaldo's had at Juventus. He may still have been at his home club in Torino. One man who is certainly uh, looking to improve his squad and uh, looks like he's got some money to do it as well is Carlo Ancelotti at Everton. And Duncan... Um, I'm pleased to say that one of our very, very oldest friends, Jimmy Rodriguez, because we do, we refuse to call him Hames on the Transfer Window podcast, um, looks like he may be getting the kind of contract offer which he has dreamed of in the last three years when he's been sent out on loan from Real Madrid and Everton may well be his new home. Yeah, they've been working on this for um, uh, some time now, Uh Hamas's representatives are very keen on the move. Carlo Ancelotti is keen on being reunited with a player he worked with at Real Madrid. He's got one year left on contract at Madrid. Um, was a 90 million euro transfer fee that he was signed for in 2014. Um, they are looking on his part for a four-year contract, a three or four-year deal at Everton. And... Um, I think it would be fascinating to see how he does at a team like Everton, how he does in the Premier League. And obviously, he'll be going to work should the deal go through with a manager who wants him and values him and will make him central to the team. If you look at his statistics, albeit he has been um, a bit part player at Madrid and, and loaned out on several occasions for some time now, he still has a very impressive uh club history, 388 club games, 104 goals, 124 assists across his career. National team, 76 games, 22 goals, 25 assists. So in terms of goal production, that is a good return for any player. Um, and you can see why Everton are trying to do this. What I would say, as I said in Tuesday's podcast, Everton are kind of breaking the mould of the Premier League at present in that they're going for older, experienced players um, to rebuild their midfield. So you've got Hamas who, who turned 29 last month. Uh, they have a deal in place with 
Napoli for Alan, uh, the Brazilian midfielder. And they have also uh, been bidding for and are quite a long way down the line to signing Abdoulaye uh, Dukuri from Watford, who is 27 years of age and again will have essentially no resale value if they manage to get that deal through. And as we told you in Tuesday's podcast, is looking for wages of over £100,000 a week. So this is a big, big investment in ready-made players to get this team to win immediately and players who Carlo Ancelotti, Alan, of course, was a, a player he worked with at um, Napoli and valued highly at Napoli, guys who Ancelotti wants. So, and we've heard Ancelotti putting pressure on Everton to perform in the transfer market. We told you when he signed for Everton, which was a deal which took a lot of people by surprise, that he had had assurances from Everton's owners that there would be a big investment in the team and that they would they would restructure the squad in a way that could help them to uh, get them into European competition and win silverware there. They seem to be coming through with that commitment at present. Well, the phrase taxi for Sigurdsson um, has been quite prevalent uh, at Goodson Park in the last few months. It seems perhaps that the, some of the fans who don't appreciate the Icelandic international we will be getting, indeed, uh, that mini cab to take him somewhere else. Um, before we go on to Spurs, Duncan, quick word on other Watford players. Uh, Ishmaeli Saar, we understand, is available for a loan deal um, at very reasonable cost, i.e. his wages, plus a reasonable loan fee. But Watford want to take him back should they get promoted back to the Premier League after one season. And also Troy Deeney uh, looking like he will leave for West Brom. The Sar one's particularly interesting, Duncan, because you were the first person to break that story in terms of his transfer to Watford. I think we saw glimpses of his brilliance um, last season in, in what was obviously a disappointing campaign for the Hornets. But at the same time, um, type of club like Liverpool have been mentioned for Sar. I mean, at the cost, it's going to be... Um, total of around up to £5 million. That looks to me like a fairly good deal for any club that's looking for a creative, speedy, definitely going to get you assists and goals type of player. Yeah, I can see why Watford are trying to do this because you want to keep him in the Premier League for development purposes. Um, and you want um, Watford, we know, are very focused around transfers and creating value in the market. So I guess their thinking is you keep him in the Premier League, he does well during that season and his value increases. And then you have the option to bring him back to the team and play him uh, as one of your main strikers if you get promotion back to the division or you get to sell him for a higher price. There's always a risk with a loan and you that is managers will tell you and sports directors will tell you that players who are loaned out can be at the back of the queue for playing games because they're not owned by the club. And and then you you ask yourself, does a club like Liverpool take a player on loan without having um, at least a guaranteed purchase price in the deal? Um, assuming things go well, because otherwise you're just developing a player for another side. And uh, worse still, were hypothetically a club like Liverpool to do it, and he was to do really well, then they could place themselves in a position where they're at the ransom of Watford if they don't have a, a defined 
um, fee in the loan agreement that where they're allowed to buy the player at the end um, for a set price uh, if he has done well. So I think I think that would be the the complication there. But in terms of potential, he's shown what he can do and. And obviously, probably the, the, the most striking game in which he showed what he can do in the Premier League was against Liverpool. It was indeed. Um, and in terms of Watford, I think what we do know, as you said, that their transfer philosophy is to buy players in at lower prices, develop them and then sell them. A, an example, which of course we saw with Richarlison, who clearly was sold to Everton for £50 million when people were wondering indeed why anyone would be willing to pay that amount of money for the player, but has, I think, um, shown at least uh, enough to justify that value. So as far as uh, Ishmael Sarr is concerned, if there was an obligation to buy at a reasonable price, then I think Watford would probably be open to that as well. As far as sports are concerned, Duncan, um, you reported several weeks ago that the, it would be buy to sell, sell to buy in terms of Jose Mourinho's summer. He recently praised uh, the club and Daniel Levy for his intelligent transfer policy in bringing in um, Hoiberg and also Joe Hart. Uh, you reported on Tuesday uh, that there was a possibility of Matt Doherty uh, arriving with Serge Aurier going to AC Milan. Both of those things have progressed since Tuesday, with uh, Tottenham rejecting one bid from Milan for Aurier, and also Spurs getting a little bit closer to Doherty with regards to recruiting him. However, you've got news for us on a striker and a striking option for Spurs, which of course is a position which Mourinho has been trying to strengthen since um, Harry Kane got injured in the start of the year, and they were left short up front for at least seven weeks. Yeah, look, I can understand why Mourinho is praising Levy because it's always a good idea to keep on side with your, your boss uh, in the middle of the transfer market. And in Hoiberg and Hart, he's been given players he likes. I mean, Hart, he tried to sign um, at previous clubs and Hoiberg was the player he identified as, as someone who could improve their midfield and be um, recruited at reasonable cost, fit in with the, those budget constraints he's working with. Um, the player that has been proposed for Tottenham is Darwin Nunes, um, who's a Uruguay international, just played one game for Uruguay, scored, but had a very good season at Almeria in the Spanish second division, scoring 16 and 30. Um, games in La Liga 2. Um, he is being proposed to a lot of clubs at present. I think he has an agent who is, uh, is doing a very good job of marketing him. Um, he has been offered to a lot of Premier League clubs and, and generating significant interest, I think partly because of the type of player he is. He's, he's big and he's quick and he scores goals, particularly on the counter. People have some questions about what he's like in, in tight spaces. But there is a, you know, there's, there's an idea that he can develop into a top forward in in one of the top divisions, and he's he's been proposed to Tottenham, and I understand Mourinho is looking at that as a possibility. Whether they can do that deal, it'll be interesting to see if Levy's prepared to pay the money it would be required to do it, because this is a player who been identified by Benfica as a possible uh, replacement for Vinicius, um, their striker, who they expect to sell this summer. 
Um, they thought they could do the deal for less than 10 million euros um, and were amazed to find that there are already offers in of 20 million euros or more from two Bundesliga clubs, Leipzig and Wolfsburg. And they feel he's now out of their league in this window. Um, I'm told that they're working on a deal to get Mariano Diaz from Real Madrid instead of Nunes at present or as an alternative to Nunes. Um, if Levy's prepared to pay over 20 million euros for what would be a backup, I mean, this is, Reno wants a backup centre forward to Harry Kane because there is none in the Tottenham squad and they were, Tottenham were caught out badly by it last season when um, Kane uh, had that hamstring uh, rupture mid-season. Um, whether they're prepared to do that much in a backup centre forward, I, I think is very much open to question. As you say, he wants a right back and they're working hard on, on Matt Doherty and it looks like Wolves will be prepared to sell Doherty for the right money. They are, as we said in Tuesday's podcast, looking at replacements for Doherty at present. He also wants another centre back in um, as a priority into the squad. So there's still a lot of work to do there and a limited budget to do it with. Well, it's certainly um, going to be an interesting window for Spurs. And also, of course, with the uh, Amazon documentary coming out, All or Nothing, um, which may or may not feature some familiar voices. We shall wait and see uh, with bated breath, I think, Duncan, on that one. Uh, but we should also say that uh, there is some uh, certain debate going on on our social media feeds, which, of course, are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. Lots of Manchester United fans and other fans of other clubs saying what is going on at United? Why are we not signing players? What is the hold up, etc., etc.? But right now, it has to be said, and I think it's fair to say that United have a bigger problem in their hands, and that is that of their captain, Harry Maguire. Now, much has been said, written and um, spoken about with regards to his recent visit to Mykonos and what happened uh, in bars or what did not happen indeed with uh, regard to he and his friends and family while holidaying there. But Duncan, I suppose we want to just look slightly at the other side of things and that is what happens now for Maguire on the pitch. We're talking about a player who, as we've pointed out many times, the most expensive defender in the world, and also someone who has suffered a bit of a crisis in terms of his form. He has been directly responsible for uh, the concession of goals, for lacking uh, goal interventions when he may well have made them, and also uh, his place in the England squad was obviously rescinded as a result of the trial in Greece, something which we'll come on to in the Donkey Award at the end of the pod. However, the problem for Ligue Solskjaer, I think, Duncan, is how does he restore Maguire's confidence on the pitch about getting him back to the player that he potentially could be and also um, increasing his mental strength and attitude in the wake of what has clearly been um, a very difficult few days with a season about to begin in 19 days' time as well uh, at home to Crystal Palace. Uh, 
And also, of course, um, in doing so, the confidence of Maguire's teammates in their captain, who clearly will also be looking to him for leadership and for uh, to take them into the new season, competing for the Premier League title as well as everything else, uh, including the Euro- uh, Champions League and obviously the domestic trophies. It's, it's quite a thing to have hanging over his head. He was found guilty of repeated bodily harm, attempted bribery, violence against public employees. He was handed a 21-month, 10-day prison sentence, um, which was suspended for three years, so he would not have gone to prison. Um, He immediately appealed against it, according to a Manchester United statement, in accordance with Greek judicial process, the filing of an appeal extinguishes the initial court verdict and nullifies the conviction. Now that, according to both the prosecuting lawyer and um, Gregory Ioannidis, a sports lawyer in the UK, is factually incorrect. Um, Ioannidis said the conviction stands pending the outcome of the appeal. No criminal record for Maguire pending the outcome of the appeal. So he has another court case coming up He's talked about it in an extensive BBC interview this week. Um, One that it should be noted has not gone down well in Greece. Um, We've seen today the prosecuting lawyer um, involved in that case uh, talking about that interview and and expressing his disappointment that no apology was uh, granted to his clients. Um, this prosecution lawyer is called Dr. Ioannis Paradisis. Um, Maguire's own position on how he felt about it mentally was that it wouldn't be a problem. He said in the interview, first, I'm strong mentally and I'm over this. He then went on to say, mentally, I feel I can get over this. I'm a strong lad. And then in a later uh, section of the interview said, I think I will get it over it pretty quickly, I will put it to one side. Um, he certainly complicated life for himself in what has happened here, and he certainly complica- complicated life for Manchester United and complicated life for Willy Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, there will be extra attention on him when he plays football. Uh, as you say, he hasn't had the greatest of debut seasons. Um, his final game before this trip Greece was one in which he made um, positional errors that contributed to Manchester United losing the game and it's not the first time that's happened this season. Um, you know, there's, there's some interesting potential uh, developments in that he will presumably be playing for Manchester United through the season because of the support he's received from the club and, the, and their public statements on it. But we could see him having to go to Greece to play in the Champions League um, as early as the group stages of the competition, where uh, Olympiakos or Pauk to make it through the qualifying stages of the Champions League and be drawn in Manchester United's group, which would give uh, Solskjaer and um, uh, Maguire some interesting decisions to make uh, about whether he wanted to travel to Greece and whether he wanted to play in Greece in a game like that. But um, look, whatever way you look at it, you have to say it's not an ideal situation for Manchester United to have their most expensive um, defender, one of the highest paid players, a player who Solskjaer made captain of the club in his first season because of um, 
where he talked about the player's character and his leadership qualities uh, involved in a situation like this and being found guilty of um, violence against and attempted bribery of, of policemen uh, in a foreign country. I once had a conversation, Duncan, with David O'Leary when he was manager of Leeds United. And it was during the trial of Jonathan Woodgate and Lee Boyer. And at the time, they were playing in the Premier League season where Leeds United were in contention, not just to win the Premier League, but to win the Champions League as well. And he had a situation whereby two of his best players were being ferried by helicopter to a court some 60 miles away and then returned to Ellen Road literally two hours before a midweek match. And he said to me, I looked at those two boys in the dressing room. They used to sit beside each other in the dressing room. And one of them was absolutely thriving on this adversity. And the other one was clearly disintegrating before my eyes. And the one who was disintegrating was Jonathan Woodgate. How people respond to these adverse circumstances defines them as people and as footballers. And I just wonder how Maguire will respond to this. I'm not making an analogy um, based on personal experience of, of Maguire because I don't know the, the player at all. But um, the analogy is one which uh, I think is relevant because people do respond to these kind of very traumatic scenarios, regardless of guilt or innocence, in different ways. And I think it is a problem for Manchester United, as you've pointed out, potentially. And it's also potentially a big problem for Maguire with regards to um, his time coming up. Because this is a, a retrial, Duncan, that probably will not even begin for a year. So this will be hanging over his head for a long time. And in that time, there is a potential for other evidence to emerge, mobile phone footage, witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me like we've not heard the last of this. Uh, well, we know we haven't heard the last of it, but we certainly haven't heard the last of what might come out in the interim period between now and the retrial. And of course, that is going to have an influence as well. Well, what we can say is that Maguire and the people around him in the club made a decision to go to the BBC and give a long television interview in which he gave his side of the story. And... What we can also say is from the response of the prosecuting lawyer, that has not been taken well by the Greek um, authorities. So it does seem that there's an element of risk in what Maguire did uh, and the words he said on BBC television. Um, certainly Paradisus was on BBC radio earlier in the week and kind of handed out an olive branch in which he said that if Maguire was to apologise for his actions, it would be possible that some of the charges could be dropped. And obviously in that interview, um, Maguire was asked whether he felt he had to apologise for anything, and he said he did not. And Paradis's response today, when asked about that by the English media, is a part of a very extensive response, is to say, and where is our apology for his behaviour? Three policemen were injured and had to be treated at hospital. A rich man came to Mykonos and thought that he could behave how he wants. He then goes on an international television channel to justify his actions and there's not a single sorry to us 
in anything he says. That doesn't sound like the Greek authorities will be prepared to let this lie, which means, as you say, the expectation is it's going to be a year before the retrial happens, that it will be hanging over Maguire and Manchester United for a year. And we will see how he responds to it, whether it affects his performances on the pitch or not. But if you're a Manchester United um, senior employee or you're a Manchester United manager, you would certainly be concerned and you'd certainly be paying attention to how he performs with this issue unresolved um, and in the background for that year. Well, I do remember much more innocent times, Duncan, and I'm sure you do as well, when um, the requirement of um, having a night out in Greece uh, as a football writer was um, the next day or the next evening when you're covering a Champions League game, getting the phrase Greek tragedy or beware Greeks bearing gifts into your match report. Um, although maybe that was just me, but it was certainly a bet, a bet that was put on lots of times by my mates. Um, so this particular Greek tragedy has some way to run. Speaking of tragedies, this being Friday, of course, uh, it's party day, everyone. You're finishing work, we hope, and you're about to embark on your weekend, which means we will celebrate by handing out the infamous Donkey Award. And today we are going to uh, dedicate the donkey to, and bear with us on this one, it's going to be the Education Secretary and 2006 Fireplace Salesman of the Year, Gavin Williamson Award, for uh, doing U-turns uh, very quickly, having declared one thing and then completely changing your mind. So, Duncan, I'm just going to open the golden envelope here. One second. I hope you can all get sound effects. There we go. Very nice, too. And uh, we have three nominations as always uh the first is our old friend the man who always likes to take his slice mina raiola who on wednesday publicly declared that our other old friend Zlatan ibrahimovic uh, had not signed a new contract with um ac milan uh and then on thursday ac milan confirmed that Zlatan had signed a contract for another year at ac milan uh, apparently the words six million you say were at some point mentioned. Uh, so we shall see how that goes for Zlatan next season. We also have um, Marina Gravskaya, who um, has protested very, very heavily uh, that she will not sign players over the age of 30. And indeed, um, just this close season, both Pedro and William have left the club. Uh, without new contracts because they are over 30. And yet on uh, Friday today, uh, they signed 35-year-old Thiago Silva on a one-year contract with one-year option, Maria Gravskaya on her U-turn on the over 30s. And last but not least, back to Harry Maguire. And this time, Gareth Southgate, who named him in his England squad for the upcoming Nations League qualifiers only for five hours later after he was found guilty of said charges that we've already mentioned in the podcast, had then to take him out of the squad for that reason. So, Duncan, uh, it's up to you to award the uh, famous golden statuette 
And I think you've got some very good contenders, I have to say, this week. Uh, look, I think I'll let Marina off because she is signing a player who is one of the best centre-backs, probably the best centre-back in the world, and they desperately need experience in the defence. So, you know, you can understand why you bend the rules on that one. And, the subject of a, and, and remember, the subject of a great rap song as well. It's true. Gareth Southgate, again, um, I don't think he, he had any other option but to name Maguire in the team. Um, probably the FA hung him out to dry there because they could have held the press conference back until um, they knew what the verdict was in the case. But um, Southgate had to name him, otherwise it would be prejudicial to the court case. And then he was sticking to his uh, standard policy of, uh, of keeping individuals who uh, have been involved in controversial behaviour out of the England team and, uh, and dropping him for that basis. So I, th- I think Southgate... Uh, is also a justified U-turn. So we'll give it to Mino Raiola, the pizza man, who, as Manchester United fans know, is a specialist in U-turns. I think it was uh, last season he, he gave a one interview praising Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his management of, uh, of Pogba um, a few days before he gave another saying uh, Manchester United and, and Solskjaer weren't treating Pogba properly and he was, uh, he was thinking of leaving again. And... Um, it's not the first time, it won't be the last time that uh, Raiola contradicts himself if it suits his and his client's financial interest to do so. Or indeed not the first time he's, he's received a donkey. I think he might be up there uh, with Ez Woodward in terms of the amount of donkeys he now has on his mantelpiece. So well done, Mino. Um, we shall uh, package that up and send it to you. Uh, we shall also, um, uh, given the circumstances, advise everyone who is listening that you can now uh, log into YouTube and listen to the Transfer Window podcast on, uh, if you just search for at Transfer Window podcast, funnily enough, you'll find it very quickly. But uh, my segue is that also please search I Am Zlatan, go for the cartoon. I've said it before, it's wonderful. And six million, you say, well, it was eight in the original one. So have a look for that as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you can get in touch and indeed continue the debate on our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You'll find Duncan at Duncan Castles. Most of you have done that already. If anyone hasn't, then there you go. There's the information you need. I'm at Garbo SJ uh, and we will continue the debate as we always do after the podcast. And also, if you like what you have heard, then please give something back because you get all this for free. And remember, you get to get the news before anyone else does so you can impress your mates uh, when you tell them what you've heard. So please get into iTunes. Give us a five-star review. It it enlarges the community, keeps the debate going, and of course, it gives all of us much more pleasure in the listening and the chat as well. That's it for this week on the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, just remains for me to say, stay well and be safe. And thanks for listening. Hey.